I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. I'm Michael Adams, and this week we are celebrating the release of the brand new book by Patrick Skeen, The Big O, The Life and Times of Olsen Philippina. You'll be hearing an interview I conducted with Patrick later this week, but I wanted to set it up by replaying the presentation he delivered as part of the Tom Brock Committee's conference last November. This was my favourite presentation of the day, and it really explains why this book is so necessary and why I'm so excited to finally see its release. So I thought rather than me waffle on about how good it is and how necessary it is. I'd let Patrick do it in his own words. If you don't know much about Olsen, you may be wondering why his story is so bookworthy. I think by the end of Patrick's address, you'll understand why and uh, we'll be anticipating this book release as much as I am. So that's the big O, the life and times of Olsen Philippina being released in Australia this Thursday, the 28th of May, available at all good bookstores, or you can order a copy online right now via www.thebigo.kiwi. So I'm really excited for the book and for my interview with Patrick, which as I said, you'll hear later in the week. Before we get to uh, the Tom Brock conference, I wanted to uh, just give a plug to a few other podcasts that you should be listening to. Uh, So firstly, Sports Best Friends, hosted by The Biggest Tiger, Big T, one of the true nice guys in our little rugby league Twitter podcasting community. Uh, I appeared briefly on the latest episode of his show. It's always a fun listen. So as we get very close to the resumption of the NRL season, you'll hear me and some other luminaries of the rugby league podcasting world talk about what we're so excited about. So Sports Best Friends, if you're not listening already, uh, you should start doing so. As I said, it's always a a really fun listen. Uh, Secondly, The Front Office. This is the brand new podcast hosted by Albie Tallarico of Steel Sports and the NRL Economist. So a brilliant, really insightful discussion of the business of rugby league. Takes all the emotion out of it and just looks at numbers, looks at figures and tries to get a real sense of what the story is. So I really enjoyed their first episode. Can't wait to hear more. So The Front Office get onto it. Uh, Thirdly, Dave, the administrator of our Facebook discussion forum, which uh, if you're not a member of, you should join immediately. That's RLD Super League War Discussion. Dave's branched out and started his own podcast uh, called Hypothetic RL. That's Hyperthetic RL. Just looking at some alternate histories of what would have happened if this game went a certain way or uh, another event in rugby league history. He's released his first episode on the 1992 Steelers, which I, I found a really interesting discussion. And um, and so I'm really looking forward to seeing what else uh, he has down the track. So uh, congrats to Dave on getting that going. That's Hyperthetic RL. Uh, yeah, give it a listen. And finally, got to shout out my friend and RLD co-host, Andrew Paskin, really hitting his straps with the APP, the Andrew Paskin podcast, uh, which merges two of his great loves, crime and comedy. Uh, The latest episode focuses on the former 
uh, absolutely riveting interview with mob expert George Anastasia. Uh, I love this interview. It was He focuses on the, the Philadelphia mob and really enthralling interview. Uh, can't recommend that highly enough. So uh, please, if you're not on it already, uh, download the Andrew Paskin podcast. Really proud of the work he's doing. Uh, but that's not to forget our own podcast. So this, as I said, later this week, you'll hear my int- interview with Patrick Skeen on the new Olsen Philippina book. Uh, and then we'll be getting into the last chapter of the this season of the Super League War, which will be our 1995 season recap. So in preparation for that, we'd, we'd love to hear any thoughts, non-Super League thoughts you have on the 1995 season. Maybe you're a Canterbury fan or a Manly fan. Uh, what are some of your thoughts and memories? So just to let you know what will be happening after that. Uh, so we will be taking a break to research and put together the second season, which will cover the 1996 and 1997 years of the Super League War. That is going to take some time to put together. I want to make sure this time that it comes out when it's ready to go, that we can just roll through and put out an episode a week. So that will probably require a you know fairly significant break from uh, us telling the story. We're not going away, though. We've got some really uh, exciting things planned for that break, so you will still hear from us regularly uh, with some special episodes and interviews and, and other things like that. So you will hear our last chapter of Season 1 soon, and then we will go from there. Uh, so I hope you join us for that, uh, and without further ado, I'll throw to Patrick Skeen uh, and his address at last November's Tom Brock conference. And once again, look out for his new book, The Big O, Life and Times of Olsen Philippina, Order it directly from thebigo.kiwi or available in Australia at all good bookstores from this Thursday, the 28th of May. So I will speak to you later in the week. Thanks, Will. Special thanks to Kath for uh, getting us going. And I have to say, I differ from Heidi. I've checked my entire family tree, every branch, and there's no first-grade rugby league players, and I <laughs> sadly maintain that tradition. Um, so today I'm talking about the Big O in the context um, of the Big O and why uh, I thought he was important enough to, uh, to write a book about. Um, Pacific now the dominant group in the NRL, I think that's no surprise. You add the 48% together with 12% Indigenous and you have 60% Oceania in our game. And that's, um, that's been a huge uh, cultural impact from 1980 when Olsen arrived, it was, uh, it was less than 1%. Uh, three tiers of the Pacific Revolution at grassroots is where I first experienced it. I was uh, spear-tackled in the old spear-tackle days by a big Samoan boy for the John Terry Catholic jaunt against Campbelltown High and uh, pretty much ended my rugby league career. Um, and we certainly didn't have prayers with our opposition and hug after the games. It's, uh, it's a brave new world we're in. Um, it's moved to the NRL and we saw it on the weekend and I wrote a story for The Guardian on um, how important Tonga is to the rugby league, uh, to international rugby league. And there's some life uh, in the game yet and may eventually displace Origin as the premier form of the game, which is very healthy. Uh, so what's happened? Um, we're talking about the intersection of an ancient culture and a modern world. So there's two uh, cultural operating systems, uh, Fa'a Samoa and uh, Anga Whakatonga. And they um, have served these communities for a long time. And it's, what's mine is yours. It's kind of um, a, a pure and workable form of communism. Extended family over a nuclear family, um, family always above the individual and parents to be paid back for their sacrifices. So income is handed to parents who redistribute to family. There's a warrior culture. And what does that mean? It was explained to me as when you have an island uh, and you have to defend that piece of land, you uh, have to stand your ground. It breeds a different, a different type of person. 
Fathers are unquestioned monarchs, and that brings um, there's some positives and negatives there. And if you ultimately, if you avoid your obligations, you're an outcast. We wonder how this um, uh, culture is so sticky. Um, that's ultimately it. It's had a radical impact on rugby league on the field. That's highly documented. We've had uh, revolutionary moves, the Benji step. Wingers are now bigger than props, and we have the introduction of the power game. The return of religion, um, we often forget that rugby league was quite a religious game at certain stages, and we're seeing post-game prayer circles, both teams, players looking heavenward for inspiration. Um, a big one for coaches in particular, customised player management. You can't verbally abuse. The old spray will do you a lot worse uh, with uh, Polynesian and Melanesians. Very different views on eye contact for us. Uh, Anglo-Celts, we like to eyeball people, um, but uh, a lot of the Pacific people don't like to look their elders in the eye. Um, it's not a sign of weakness. The family's often brought in uh, in dispute resolution, and now there are Pacifica player welfare managers at clubs. And clubs sometimes sign both brothers in the family because they want that family unity, and in the case of the Bromwich brothers, that really paid off. We're seeing a lot of Polynesian tattoos. Musically, R&Bs replacing country and rock music when I hear it from, from change rooms. Um, contracts are negotiated and agreed by parents, which is amazing. Dave Fafita was waiting for his parents to agree on his recent contract. And money's remitted back to the island, so it's changing these source countries economically. And I've heard figures up to 30% of total GDP coming back through uh, NFL, rugby league and rugby union, big money. And international, we're seeing cultural challenges now being timed into broadcasts um, and fans singing both anthems, which is pretty strange for the Australians to hear Advance Australia fair louder than Tonga's national anthem on the weekend. And there's that underlying feeling of, of, of gratitude and a lot of people uh, of the communities have moved into Western Sydney and um, southeast Queensland and uh, feeling the financial benefits. But disruption brings challenges. Uh, we're seeing weight-based juniors. We're seeing a group that sometimes can grow three or four years um, ahead of their peers, um, you know, dominating representative spots and losing kids. They're brought in weight-based, and there's some positives and negatives. It's pretty hard for an eight-year-old kid to be playing with 12-year-olds. Um, uh, there's diff a whole different mentality there, um, but it has to be done. This incompatibility, incompatibility of religion with other values, um, Israel Folau, who um, you know, is rugby union's issue right now, but he's a hardcore league and with leaguey, and it could be happening with rugby league in future. And family expectations can create pressures. So in extreme cases, this can cause mental health issues and suicide. And um, most of us would remember the well-documented Masisi Fotuakia, who pulled his pecs, um, thought he couldn't provide for his family and committed suicide. NRL is predicted to be 60% Pacific by 2027, 20, plus Aboriginal 10%. So we're talking um, an almost African-American NBA replication of uh, single groups dominating uh, participation. And you've got the long-term impact of a single community, 1.4% of Australia dominating national sport. Um, I wrote on the, on the weekend, about the weekend, about the non-field roles of un under-representation, commentary, coaching, executive, refereeing. It would have been great to have a Polynesian voice in the commentary box the other day. I just heard the same twangy um, repeats of the same, the, the Tongans are going to run out of gas and there was no nuance and we just couldn't really uh, see any other lens. And the old casual racism still um, rears its head, uh, coconuts can't play the skill positions, mockery of names, mispronunciation. Uh, one thing I learned on my journey is how important names are to the Polynesian people, it really does, you really are insulting their grandparents and their line of people if you get the name wrong, they're very proud of their names and it's something we have to work on. It's also impacting other contact sports, Super, uh, rugby um, more than 50% of the Wallabies that went to Japan were from Pacifica uh, Maori background. And NFL's are an interesting one. They, they split Tonga in two. Uh, the Mormons took over American Samoa. There's now 80 
uh, Polynesians in NFL and 200 in Division One college. They're the only new group that has brought uh, anything new, um, anything new culturally to NFL. And you see turning up to the draft in Lafa Lafa, and you're seeing, you know, our proud people now looking to um, showcase their culture. The pioneers, the pioneers opened the door. Why are they important? Um, you can't be it if you can't see it. So Nat Sweetwater Clifton opened the gates for um, African Americans in NBA. Famous Jackie Robinson took his no violence um, uh, vow, um, no matter what he went through. And Al Lolotai, the NFL in 1945, came across from American Samoa, started that tradition. Brian Williams for the All Blacks in 1970. And um, we have on the Aboriginal side, Arthur Beetson and Larry Corral was two big pioneers of the modern era um, that post-date all of the pioneers that um, Heidi spoke of today. Um, and I'm not forgetting Australia's Vanuatu uh, connection. One of the positives to come out of the horrifying blackbirding and slavery, and they're the only group to have a special racial act against them, um, our poor South Sea Islanders, Kevin Yayi, Walter Mussing, um, not hard to miss him uh, on the top left there. He comes down to Mal Meninga, um, and um, there's a lot more uh, South Sea Islanders. There was an amazing... Um, there's a knockout for, they call it the Kanaka knockout. It was on on the weekend. I was watching on YouTube. Just absolutely fascinating how rugby league is binding these communities together. Pioneers in, in rugby league, and, and I look at Olsen as, as a pioneer because he was a pioneer of the broadcast era, and there was a horrendous one-year rule where you couldn't play for New Zealand or your country. You had to stay a year out. And these guys, when they came to Australia, they kind of disappeared off the map in their countries. But Apisai Toga, 1968 St George. Oscar Danielson pulled out of a, a wharf in Parnell in Auckland to play for the Newtown Jets. Uh, Henry Tartaner for Canterbury and Eddie Heatley, 1972 in Norse. Common denom denom denominator was all big, tough, brawny forwards that fitted that mould of, of rugby league. No backs came through. The brains positions, um, as they're called. So, and Olsen Filipina arrived in 1980, but you can't talk about a Pacific Island man without uh, talking about his shaping forces. So his father was Samoan, part of one of the great cultural phenomena to hit uh, New Zealand, the importation of, of uh, Polynesian workers to work in factories and build the roads and build shiny New Auckland. The Māori side, um, his mother was from uh, the Napui people up in Northland, and uh, they're the warriors. Amazing, extraordinary history, and I learned a lot. They beat the British in four out of five of the Northern Wars because they had muskets the first time the Brits were eyeball to eyeball with the same technology, and they got pantsed by this, uh, this group of people, and New Zealand. So um, the urbanisation of the Māori, the Māori came into the cities, uh, Polynesians came off the plains and they all came to uh, Auckland. They carved up some market gardens which became uh, South Auckland and this new blended race Pacifica uh, identity rose up. And there's Big Olsen uh, in the middle in front of his family, six brothers, uh, dad on the left, mother on the right. Now Olsen was um, a rising force. Um, he was captain of New Zealand schoolboys at under 15s. Um, but there was the code wars going on. They didn't have uh, rugby league in New Zealand schools uh, for, uh, since 1970, until 1973. And it really was, if you uh, were a good player and you didn't play first 15, you'd get caned, you'd get in detention. Uh, it was a systematic. I lost a... I had the Kiwis on a, a, a higher pedestal than I left with um, at the end because I saw what they did to a lot of these guys just for playing the game they liked. Mark Graham compared being a rugby league player in New Zealand to being like a leper. Um, Mungari East uh, first kicked off in 1967. Uh, 14 teams they started with. They're right in the heart of South Auckland. They're now the biggest club in New Zealand as far as grassroots participation. And um, Olsen was a once-in-a-generation talent. He came over here on the 1978 tour, only player that uh, left with his reputation intact. 
and uh, Auckland Rugby League chairman said Olsen Philippine is the most sensational and startling footballer we've seen for years. And he really did, um, he really did carve them up. And Joe Stanley, um, he had to make the decision at 16. The school came to his living room and said, uh, league's got to be legal union. And uh, funnily enough, Olsen, since the age of eight, had been funded by the mad butcher, Sir Peter Leach, who uh, some of you may know from the Warriors. He had his first butcher shop in, in Mangere and funded Olsen all the way through. And his dad said, well, that guy gives us meat for our family functions. We're going to stay with league over union. Union's given us nothing. So um, that's one rare one. And Joe Stanley, um, 27 Test All Blacks, had absolutely played alongside Olsen and said so we all used to follow and feed off his devastation and carnage. Um, and another big difference is, um, and it's documented elsewhere, but Australia had the Catholic Church behind them. New Zealand didn't. Catholic Church was behind rugby union there. So we've had this um, underpinning the muscular Christianity movement driving league to where it is in Australia. Uh, he also was the first uh, Mangere East player to become a Kiwi, so he's enshrined in that club's um, mythology. And he came over to play, destroyed uh, Riverina at Leichhardt and won a $750 TV and called his mum and said, Mum, we've, won a, Mike, we've, we've got a Pakia TV, which was code for colour back then. Or everyone just said... <laughs> Uh, throw a net over him. That's what it got to as far as the New Zealand uh, journalists. They said, we can't stop this guy. He's running amok. He won all the awards. Um, and there he is, played 100 games. And one of the journalists said, um, just throw a net over him. He took Mangari to the final of the Fox Memorial Cup in 78. But it was Graham Lowe who coached uh, against him in the Odahu team, uh, whose, whose simple strategy was four men on Olsen and we'll clam him down. So crossing the threshold, uh, they won a, a case of beer for um, Man of the Match in New Zealand. Man can't live on beer alone. So he finally, after two years, finally succumbed and signed for the Balmain Tigers family. Forced him to. He didn't want to come over. He didn't like what he saw about Australia in 1978 and saw the difference in race relations between New Zealand and Australia. He got uh, verbally abused in an AMCO Cup game and said, I'd, I don't want to come over. But he didn't have a choice. Under this um, Samoa operating code, he does what his parents tell him. So Olsen arrives, 1980. Three other Polynesian players um, in rugby league at that time. Uh, Kurt Sorensen notes the difference between them and Olsen. I had three things going for me, white skin, an English-sounding name, and I'd fight, someone if, I'd fight if someone had a go at me. Olsen had none of those. He was an immediate target with his skin colour, his name, his look, and Olsen promised his mother on the airport that he wouldn't fight back and give Polynesians a bad name. So he had a touch of Jackie Robinson about him where he would try and get them back legally, but he just didn't want Polynesians to get a reputation as brawlers. So here we are, the Galloping Garbo. Two weeks in, he got his... Um, he got his uh, garbage run, which he's still doing now, one of Cindy's longest-serving garbos. Luckily for him, the technology's kept up with his knees and uh, hips, and he's in the truck now. It's like playing Space Invaders, but there he is doing Artie Beetson's, two of the great pioneers, um, doing his bin run when Artie Beetson lived in, in, in West Ride. Um, and when Olsen arrived, it was different. Um, there's one game against St George when he first there, and the camera's in there um, in the change rooms and taking an Olsen, you know, putting his hand against the camera and... Um, the camera goes to Wayne Pearce and he's beaming. He's sort of a, um, a pioneer of personal branding was, uh, was, was, was Wayne Pearce. And um, he just hated media the whole time and he hid in the toilets. The very first time him and Percy Knight hid in the toilets, they wouldn't come out to the media gone. So he was um, a little bit different to, to today, but he hated, hated and distrusted the media all along. He couldn't handle how they could be his friend one week and then write something bad about him the next. He didn't quite understand that. So he, had, he was under Dennis Tuddy in 1980, and Dennis Tuddy made the final of the two uh, cups, midweek and uh, the, the, the two cups, but he, 
They ended up coming uh, 11th, and he was tossed for cranky Frankie Stanton. Interestingly, at the end of 1980, Graham Lowe was also in the running for this role, and it would be fascinating to see how Olsen would have gone under the cultural competence of uh, a Kiwi coach. A homesickness. Olsen was dreadfully homesick pretty much from the time uh, he arrived. Um, He used to spend up to $800 a month on his phone bill back in the days when it was timed. And uh, on the right there, that's what happens if you don't manage homesickness. Tana Umaga was a leaguey. Um, he's more well known for playing 74 tests for the All Blacks and uh, being uh, New Zealand All Blacks' first uh, Polynesian captain. But he trialled for three weeks in the Newcastle Knights and uh, left dreadfully homesick and well, we lost him from the game. So they manage these things now, but he was uh, growing up full, full, full leaguey um, and we lost him. And Olsen um, had dreadful homesickness over here. So 1981, he had his first fight. He was trying to avoid, but Paul Taylor um, took him up one day, and that was a day that changed, um, changed Olsen's life. He got in his first fight, and uh, he also then got uh, racially abused, him and his wife, by the fans, and he copped a full can of KB to the head, and uh, it was a turning point for him. So Wayne Wiggum says, in his first year at Balmain, Olsen was very social. Then under Frank Stanton, he just dropped out, stopped coming to the pub, and would race into the change rooms after training and matches and leave before some of us had gotten back in there. He became a recluse. Under today's diagnosis, it would be a simple depression um, away from family and having a terrible time. And Olsen always looked at the coach as a second father. All coaches are second fathers now, where you lose the change rooms. But back then, um, it was an egalitarian, one-size-fits-all overhang from the white Australia um, time. And no one got the customised man man management. It's very normal today. You don't shout at some guys. Some guys enjoy kick up the arse. Well, that's their thing, and you just got to customise your response. And also racism. Also, um, had never experienced it before in New Zealand. Never. Of course, casual racism, but never open to the face. And also from opposing players. It was a much more integrated league, the Fox Memorial Cup. And Olsen marvelled at how Larry Coral was able to take it. Um, he copped terrifying. And Olsen also got called an Aboriginal. They didn't know what a Polynesian was. Um, and uh, so he copped a bit what Larry took, but Olsen says it's remarkable. But Larry uh, Coral grew up with it, and it was normalised in his life, sadly. But it was, it was new to Olsen. And again, uh, reiterate the point, when Polynesians, um, when you're racist to a Polynesian, you're basically insulting their parents um, and, their, and their family line. It's very, very offensive, even the um, mocking of names. And it's interesting seeing the culture clash. We had Billy Birmingham had eight number one uh, records in a row uh, mocking people's surnames. And never did we think while we were laughing along that people could be you know, seriously offended by that. And it's just one of those um, unconscious culture clashes. Um, and Tony Kemp, even in 1988, uh, the, the first five-eighths to follow in Olsen's fo- uh, footsteps at Newcastle Knights still doesn't turn up to their reunions now. And he had fistfights with his teammates because they came out and openly um, you know, used some very terrible language. Olsen starts a family in 91 and has family issues. He's sending all of his money home, um, squirrelling off a bit, basically keeping his garbo run, living like a pauper. And his father has a terrible gambling habit and squanders it all. Um, there's an article recently came out in New Zealand documenting this as one of the, uh, the downsides. If the money's not managed correctly, um, it can leave people destitute. And I found it quite amazing that Izzy Folau, when he signed his million-dollar contract with um, the Broncos, was receiving $150 a week um, and uh, had to ask his dad permission to go to the movies. So it's a, it's a very, very different world where, you know, I really... Didn't take any direction from my father after the age of 18. I was, I was on my own, and that was just uh, the way the culture was. 1982, um, his best year. Um, he was voted hardest man to tackle in the Rugby League Week survey. But the whole time, he's fighting with Frank Stanton. Frank Stanton's trying to um, turn him into a marathon runner. 
and uh, Olsen wasn't a, a guy for long distance. He was sprints. He loved tennis. He loved anything uh, chasing a ball. And he didn't. They didn't train like that in New Zealand. They played a bit of touch and just worked through their moves. But um, Frank Stanton's success in his world. He's in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame, and he can't be denied. Came from um, being a very strict uh, disciplinarian. So you had a serious clash of two cultures. So yeah, eighty-two was his uh, his best year, and he really shone. Um, Kiwi reunions, it wasn't always sad times for Olsen. When these Kiwis all came together, it was heaven, so they're playing North Sydney. Uh, guys like Mark Broadhurst, Fred Arcoy, James Lulawai, they came down here, they found it revolting. Uh, all said they had a terrible time, went to England, and England was a lot more respectful then. And we forget that before, Australia and New Zealand didn't even have a trade treaty until 1983. New Zealand oriented towards England, and we oriented towards England, but we didn't have that much going on. So um, two distinct cultures behaviourally uh, had developed. Uh, one, you know, quite loud and abusive, uh, particularly in the crowds, trying to g each other up and saying something worse and worse. And uh, for Olsen, it was heavenly to get together as New Zealand, all prided themselves on being gentlemen. Um, and Fred Elkai had a terrible time at North, and, uh, and we lost him, but Olsen stuck it around. Olsen was the first to show culture. Some of those early pioneers, it was dial down your culture, fit in, but here he is. The first time you'll ever see a Polynesian on the left-hand side in his footy cart, he's got his pucker shells on. And then going to the next level um, with his Mr. T mohawk. And he loved Mr. T because Mr. P T was scared of flying. Olsen had aviophobia and uh, was absolutely terrible. And the journos made a lot of fun of that as if it's a weakness, but it's a serious disease. And uh, as they say, there's no atheists in turbulence. We all, we all, suffer, at, we all suffer at some level. <laughs> Um, 1983, his depression got the worst, just the game before. The, so every year he's playing the Kiwis games are his heaven. He's getting away from Frank Stanton, who's verbally abusing him, talking a million miles an hour. And he's depressed, dropping him for not wearing his polo. Famous time in 1983 when he turned up at the St George game straight off the garbage truck and sprinting across in his singlet and shorts and everyone making fun of him. But that, for Frank, that was the ultimate breach of discipline. So a lot of times Olsen got dropped, had nothing to do with his form. He's in this constant battle um, with the coach. Enter Graham Lowe, super coach. Coached at Odahu, Brisbane 1 and Brisbane North. One of the great upsets of all time, uh, Australian Rugby League. North went from second last. 26 players walked out of their team. You know, a rookie from New Zealand comes across, never played first grade. Um, and uh, took them, to, brought Mark Graham, Stan Napper, Dylan Napper's father with him. And they won the premiership in their second year. Did miracles for the Kiwis and stopped the right. It was important. Australia had, had locked between 71 and 83. Australia, uh, New Zealand didn't win a game. Absolute second-class citizen, 14 matches in a, a row. Terrible. They used to wear Australian jerseys to training, and, and Graham Lowe came in. Wasn't really afflicted by the scar tissue. Hadn't been a player, but his most important uh, addition was personalised man management. He's a great planner, and he used new principles, cultural competence with his Pacific players, empathy, vulnerability, and love. He loved his players, and his players felt he was like a second father. Aroha is the concept in New Zealand. It's normal. They talk about it over there. Uh, it's not a word you hear bandied much around rugby league circles, but he brought it in. He got extraordinary results from all his, all his players. And pretty much only Jack Gibson matched, uh, uh, who was Graham Lowe's um, mentor. Jack Gibson was the one Aussie coach, and Roy Masters, to a degree, that had um, that level of empathy and vulnerability. He knew the happier the guy was off the field, the, happy, the better you're gonna, the more gratitude you'll get with him on the field. And you saw Des Hasler yesterday, I saw a piece in the paper, went down and spent an hour with his player in jail. Um, so people are getting it now. 
Craig Bellamy goes and meets the pastor. He goes to church. He goes to the house for, for dinner. It's a natural thing for coaches now. It wasn't back then. 84 test series against Great Britain. Graham Lowe selected Olsen at 5-8. Olsen crushed the hapless Brits. First time they'd ever lost 3-0 in a series. And there he is meeting David Longy, who was New Zealand's first rugby league president in a while after Piggy Muldoon. He's from Mangari as well as Olsen. And his first three years as a, as a trial lawyer were up in Kaikohe, where Olsen's from, three hours to the north, and he had 90% Māori case work up there. So we're talking about the first Pacific competent uh, PM. Um, had a touch of the Kevin 07s about him. Um, where it was more exciting voting him in than actually um, living under him. <laughs> and then Olsen finally uh, breaks with, um, breaks with uh, Frank Stanton, enough's enough, and goes to East under Artie, Artie Beetson. You'd think Arthur Beetson, being an Aboriginal man, would understand uh, cultural competence, uh, but not, not the case. Uh, a lot of the players say Arthur really couldn't ma- handle difference. He was brought up in the one-size-fits-all system, and there was a little bit of, uh, of Arthur in Olsen as well. Arthur wasn't a big road runner and a big trainer. And, um, and sometimes we loathe in others what we see in ourselves. But they, di- they didn't really kick on. So he's sitting in reserve grade at East. And he's back to join his magical Kiwis. And this is a team that will go down in the generations as having turned uh, rugby league around. Captain by Mark Graham, coached by Graham Lowe. Um, amazing mix. This is the new New Zealand on show after, after Robert Muldoon who had tried to reshape New Zealand back to white and provincial. But this was the reality. This was New Zealand's new identity. After Longy came in, the Rainbow Warrior, um, we have uh, this first team reflecting the new outward-looking New Zealand. And it was amazing that, uh, I didn't know this, but in the 1976 Montreal Games, 30 uh, different African nations boycotted because of New Zealand. Um, really amazed me. People wearing New Zealand flags on their backpacks now to get around the world, and they're considered fluffy and diplomatic. But they were world pariahs at one stage. It's amazing. Uh, their brand took a, a real shellacking. I didn't know that. And the power of mum. Uh, Graham Lowe, um, when he picked uh, Olsen in reserve grade at 5 8 against Wally Lewis, the Jonos had a field there. Who's this fat reserve grader? Garbo, how can he play? Olsen called, uh, Graham Lowe called Olsen's mum and talked to her for an hour on the phone. No Australian coach would ever dream of doing that. But he knows the power mums have over Polly Boys. And he, um, he convinced her that she could beat Wally Lewis. Graham Lowe goes back and says, spoke to your mum, she thinks you're going to do him, and he'll give you a clip on the ear if you don't. (laughs) Olsen comes out like a man, man of the series. First game against Brisbane, the Aussies did not know what hit them. And it was a pyrrhic victory. The Australians won 2-1, but Terry Fernley copped it, and Graham Lowe smartly exposed the fault line between uh, New South Wales and Queensland Rugby League when he forced four positional changes after they won, and that's something you don't do. John Coffey, perhaps the greatest compliment is that Olsen Philippine was completely ignored by Wally Lewis in two autobiographies written about his career. I managed to catch up with Wally, and uh, there's some amazing things in the book, and, um, and it's you know, just amazing seeing a couple of old... And they hadn't talked to each other, so what happened after the first test, Olsen went around the match. Olsen got brushed by Wally, went to shake hands, got brushed by Wally, raised the black flag and crushed him in the next, uh, in the next two games and really fired him up. Um, there's a lot of... So Wally's... I won't say apologise in the book. I'll leave that to you guys. No spoiler alerts. But uh, Wally's um, you know, had his brush with mortality and he's a great humble man now. He's lost that competitive instinct that got him to the, to the top, which is great. And the third test deliverance. The Kiwis hadn't won at Carlaw Park since 1971. They crushed the Aussies 18-0. Um, you know, piece of Olsen magic turned the, the game around. It was amazing. And that was the birth uh, of, of, of the 10 years of respect that led to the Warriors um, uh, you know, begrudgingly accepting that New Zealand should have their own team and not just become a farm for us to hothouse and stock up, stockpile talent for our own clubs. 86-87, he went to Norths. Um, 
Andrew writes about uh, Frank Stanton's time at North better in a way that I could never cover in his magnificent book. Um, Andrew, that was uh, you know, really, you said what I didn't need to say, but he was just an, a man caught out of times and was trying to turn them into roadrunners. Um, really shame, because Olsen in 1986, Frank came in 87 and just shoved Olsen in reserve grade. It was terrible um, to have the number four ranked 5-8th in the world sitting in reserve grade because of a personal beef. But in 86, under Chicken Norton, Olsen played well. It was the first coach, I think, that really got him since Tutty. And, um, you know, just gave him a ball and said, I'm not going to road run, you play here. And Olsen started turning up to goal-kicking goal practice early, which had never happened before. He hated goal-kicking because he says that's when you get abuse. Well, I don't get paid anymore and people call me names. So he had this famous two-step and the forwards hated him because he didn't take any time at all. But he said, the less time I'm taking, the less I'm going to be abused. Um, 1986 versus Kangaroos, his last hurrah, 29 test career, came to an end. He scored a first try in the first test, another a brilliant piece of work, but they got overcome. The Aussies had regrouped um, under Ferner and were a much more cohesive unit, and, the, and, and they exposed New Zealand. Um, after that, they sacked Graham Lowe, so Olsen was out, very loyal, said, I don't want to play um, with you guys anymore. And in 1998, he went bush. He went and played for Barrow, all the New Zealand... Um, Players at the time would do two or three years. Henry, all the four we, uh, we mentioned there, except Apocytoga, uh, rest in peace, who, who died from uh, an infection from coral um, back in Fiji. But that was the thing. And going back through those old rugby league weeks, you can see how big country rugby league was. All these captain, coach, advertisements, page after page. Uh, really amazing. So he went Bush to play for Barrel, Brad, Don Bradman's old club. And then another great tradition now, and we're seeing it, it used to be at the end of their careers, but now some of them at the start is returning to play for your ancestral homeland. So in 1988, Olsen was asked to come back and play for Samoa in a Pacific Cup in Apia uh, with, six, with six teams. And he won the man of the tournament, but he insisted that half the team had to be from the local Samoan boys and couldn't just pluck them out of South Auckland and Sydney. And he got so much love from the Samoans there. And there he is. He's still even uh, at the end there. Um, and what happened in 1988, he went to trial for the Balmain Tigers under Warren Ryan. And it came down that uh, basically they said the game's left behind. And maybe it's a good thing that Olsen's still playing with that old amateur Kiwi spirit didn't play under the new data-driven, sanitised world of the NRL. So it was a nice transition piece. But he trained there and played a few games with Gary Freeman, who went on to become the first Kiwi to win the Dally M. And Freeman said, you know, the players don't listen to what the media said. The players love playing with Olsen more than any other player. And then in 1990, right Eastwood Hawks on hallowed ground here. Olsen... Uh, it's pulled out of retirement, captains them in their first year, pulls off some Olsen magic, and Ride Eastwood Hawks win in their first year in the old uh, New South Wales Cup. So we finally got that piece of silverware after all that time in his last game as a pro. Um, Hawks disappeared, uh, but like Lazarus, re-emerged this year to, to win. Uh, another great story of uh, the return of a, of, of a dead club. So just some views on Olsen, um, just what people said. So Wally Lewis, Olsen's strength was far greater than anyone else I faced. He was fantastic and demanded his opponents be at their best because he was 100% committed every time. He made life difficult for every player, and I don't know anyone that played against him that enjoyed it. Wayne Pearce, um, Olsen loved Wayne Pearce, said he's not a racist bone in his body, but Wayne Pearce used to put a lot of pressure on Olsen. Olsen was a hot and cold player and enigma. On his day, he'd destroy defences or make game-changing tackles. As captain, I would go to him when we were in trouble. On other days, he wasn't effective and we couldn't work out why. But when he was on, we were always a good chance of winning. Um, and I think we've established why Olsen wasn't on. He was having a miserable time. It's very difficult to change the world when you don't want to leave your bedroom. The Kiwi View. Richard Becht has written 40 rugby league books um, and, and various. Enigma was often used to describe Olsen Australians as a shit word. They didn't know how to use him or fit him into their system and it was code for they couldn't figure him out. He was a trailblazer for Polynesians. 
Mark Graham, captain New Zealand player of the century. On his day, there was no better player. If the clubs in Sydney treated Olsen the way New Zealand did, he could have beaten sides all by himself, and he still terrorised him in Sydney despite all the crap. We used to joke that Olsen was so good that he could make love standing on a hammock. <laughs> Don't know what they get up to in New Zealand in their spare time. <laughs> Daryl Williams. I find Daryl Williams and Tony Kemp too interesting because we're looking at who's the pioneer. And those early guys, um, this was the first of the televised era. You used to have to get your, um, go and get your rugby leagues game from the uh, video store. They would come in on the Thursday, so someone would obviously get a copy and make them. So you really had to work hard to be a rugby league fan in New Zealand. Daryl Williams, um, first uh, Kiwi to win a grand final in 86 with Manly. Olsen was an inspiration for my sacrifices. Sure enough, through the different generations, a trickle's become an avalanche. Tony Kemp, no other Kiwi has ever dominated an Australian mortal, immortal like Olsen did, and he did it to the greatest player ever. Sir Graham Lowe, Olsen was a pathfinder, the first to show what Polynesians could do, and he was a face of hope for his community. And I'll finish off on uh, this one. It's Olsen crossed the code lines. He was Jonah Lomu's hero. And we forget Jonah Lomu up to the age of 13 was a leaguey for the Manukau Magpies. And Aroni Clark played 10, um, 10 tests for the All Blacks and called me and insisted he be in the book to talk about how much Olsen influenced them on the streets of South Auckland. We talk about how we as Pacific people navigated the oceans of the Pacific by just using stars. Olsen was like those stars for us. He dared to open up the pathway. Thank you very much. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.